Uh, hopefully many of you have it memorized by now. If not, we are going to show it verse by verse, phrase by phrase up on the screen, and we are going to say it at the pace that the slides come up on the screen. So let's begin. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's Word. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, just a quick reminder that uh, one more week of uh, P, the P23 Life, the study of Psalm 23, and there is an outline with some places where you can take notes and, and uh, fill in the blanks as we go through this la last message on Psalm 23. There is also on the back the MPG, Memorize, Pray, and Glorify. And this is a way that you can take the sermon a little further down the road with some exercises, some things to think about, some things to pray about, and some words to lay up in your heart as you memorize them. The P23 life is, is a life that is based on the truths of Psalm 23. It is a big life. And when you think about it, it kind of fits into that category of teaching in the Bible that are the great reversals. You find these mainly in the New Testament with Jesus of Nazareth saying that if you want to be first, then you have to be last. If you want to be great, then you have to become the servant of all. In the P23 life, it is about making yourself a sheep. It is about making your life small in order to be more sensitive to the greatness and the largeness and the, the, the immensity of God as He reveals Himself to us every day in creation, not just in the Word, but in creation. And the secret to living the P23 life is believing that Psalm 23 is true. That all of the truths, that, that all of the precepts, all of the affirmations, the confirmations, the verifications of that life, the teaching, the, the understanding of what it means to be a sheep and God to be the shepherd, all of that is real. And that it can be proven. That, that can be, that's truth and it can be proven. And the P23 life begins with just a very simple declaration. It begins with these words. The Lord is my shepherd. Say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. Now that phrase, as we declare it every day, describes the greatest relationship that a human being can experience. The Lord is my shepherd is the greatest offer that a human being is ever going to receive. And when we say that, we are declaring that we are putting the care of our life, the meaning of our life, the safety of our life, the significance of our life into the hands of another. That we're putting the care of our life into the hands of another, not just any other, but that of God, the hands of God. You are saying that regardless of what comes at you in this life, I'm with God. It is a God-following life. It is, with the, the, it is a with God life. Life, But it's even more than that. 
When you say the Lord is my shepherd, you are saying that my life is going to be led by God, that God is the one who is in charge, that it is a relationship, it is, it is not a relationship of equals. He is Lord and we are not. He is the shepherd and we are not. He, we are the sheep. He's the shepherd, we are the sheep. And when it comes to being in the presence of the shepherd, there are at least three ways that we can think about this. One is we can be way out in front of the shepherd, which is way, the way a lot of us live our lives, that we get way out in front of the shepherd, and we're wanting to lead the shepherd, and we're wanting everything to go our way and the shepherd to follow. That's a very dangerous place for a sheep to be. The other is to follow, but to follow at a distance. In fact, some of us follow the shepherd from so far behind that we need binoculars to be able to see him. And one of the reasons we do this is we want to make sure of the path that the shepherd is going to take before we follow him down it. In other words, we want to make sure that the shepherd is leading us down the paths we want to go before we actually follow him. That is not what it means to be a sheep to a shepherd. The best place for a sheep to be with the shepherd is with, beside following right behind, being in His presence. And one of the ways that we know that the P23 life is, is a valuable life is that, well, one thing we know is that life is not going to be easy, right? And trying to live according to the precepts of Psalm 23 is never going to be easy. But as we read this psalm and we begin to understand more and more what this psalm is teaching us about life, we understand that it is verified or confirmed or affirmed by four things. Three we've already looked at. The first is there is this unparalleled contentment that comes into our life when as a sheep we're not in front or way behind, but we're with the shepherd. We're able to say that what I have with God is always going to be greater. It's always going to be more precious, more beautiful. Something I'm going to treasure up more than what I don't have in this life. It's about contentment. It's about being refreshed. It's about the restoration of your soul, which is the very core of your being. It's about going down the right path, not just a good path, but we have committed ourselves to following the shepherd down a righteous path. So there's this unparalleled contentment regardless of the circumstances that comes flooding into life. There's also, number two, an unassailable confidence. There are going to be times when life gets very difficult. In fact, there are times when you're going to feel like you're in darkness, you're in a valley, that you're threatened, that life is not going very well, and sometimes it's day after day after day. But one of the things that Psalm 23 teaches us is that life in the presence of God is greater than any fear, any enemy, any foe, any opposition, any trap that we may face in this life. In fact, this became a running theme in David's life. David was facing foes and he was facing opposition and difficult times a lot in his life. And sometimes it just seemed to be continuous. But in Psalm 56, as in other places, David says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. It was, it was his, his reaction, his response to danger. When I am afraid, when I am faced with something that is bigger than me, you know what I do? I put my trust in God. And then what we looked at last week was the unmistakable celebration. There is this celebration that takes place as we follow the shepherd, especially on the other side of the valley of the shadow of death. There is a victory, a, a triumphal feast, 
that God shares. It's His victory that He is sharing with us. And there is this non-verbal witness to the greatness of life with God that is seen in this, this celebratory composure that we have in life. That we can always say every day that my cup overflows. My cup is not, not just full. My, cu- my cup is not just filled up to where it begins to brim and can hold no more. My cup has been so filled. Your cup has been so filled that not only can it not contain anything else, but it begins to overflow on the sides. And that is the, the celebratory composure of our life. Now, in the ancient world of Israel, as we come to verse 6, the final passage, Psalm 23, there was a lot of running and a lot of chasing, a lot of pursuing that was going on. The people of God, they had left Egypt, they had wandered in the desert for 40 years, they had entered the promised land, and they, those 12 tribes were spread out. And they kept order in the land with a rather aggressive form of crime and tribal punishment. For example, when a family member was killed, the family would meet and they would appoint a blood avenger. And the blood avenger would accept that, that task. He would follow the killer until they were in this open space where he would pop out, declare himself to be the blood avenger, and he would exact revenge. In other words, they would call Cousin Tony from Jersey, and they would appoint him the blood avenger. And Cousin Tony would track down the killer, declare himself to be the blood avenger, and then the pursuit is on. And the chase would continue until Cousin Tony from Jersey would run down the back of the murderer and then strike him down. It was crude, and it was rough, but this was how justice was preserved in ancient Israel. But there was a question. What if the death was unintentional? What if it was accidental? What if it wasn't meant? What if it was, it was, there was no malintent? It was just it was an accident. Well, in Deuteronomy, basically in the Hebrew Scriptures, there were three places. Deuteronomy chapter 19, Numbers 35, Joshua chapters 20 and 21, where a provision was made. And God is speaking to the Israelites. And in places like Joshua chapter 20, God says, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge. So that anyone who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. So what is being made uh, available in these certain kinds of situations were six cities. And these six cities were established where a fair trial could be held by the elders of the city. And when that trial was held, if it was determined that this person was innocent, then they were allowed to go free. And, and guiltless and safe. But if it was determined that they were guilty, the blood avenger would do his thing. Now, quite frankly, friends, we, we all know what it's like to sense some unfriendly footsteps in life. To feel enormous and relentless stress. To have people who may not be trying to literally assassinate you, but maybe trying to assassinate your character. Or maybe it just seems like there are these inescapable forces that are coming after you 
and you're beginning to slow down and you're beginning to get weary and you're beginning to get tired. David, the writer of Psalm 23, knew what it was like to be pursued by an enemy. David, the writer of this psalm, knew what it was like to be chased, to be pursued. There was that time in his early life when King Saul was trying to kill him and had a couple of of opportunities to do so. And in his early life, David spent a lot of er, those early years on the run. And then there was those, those days in his later life when his son Absalom tried to uh, stage a coup in the land of Israel and to basically you know, kick his dad off the throne and to run him out of Jerusalem and then to chase him down and to destroy him. And all of that, that assassination attempt by his own son later in life. We all know what it's like to have an enemy on our heels, what it's like to have these inescapable forces that seem like they're trying to chase us down, and it's relentless, and we don't know what to do about it. And so we ask the question, how does David, how how do we keep it together when the enemy is on our heels? How How do we keep it together when there is an enemy that is pursuing us, when there is an enemy that is chasing us down? Well, the answer to that, and for David and for us, is that David knew that he was being pursued by more than an enemy. And so at the very end of this psalm, he writes, Surely goodness and loving kindness shall pursue me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord, house of Yahweh, his personal covenantal name, For days without end. I want you to circle on your outlines that word pursue. Many of the translations that we read in English use the word follow, but the word in Hebrew, radaf, literally means to pursue. And David knew a lot of bad and dangerous things, a lot of bad and dangerous people, that he would find himself in some bad and dangerous circumstances that would try to run him down, But in knowing that it was God's goodness and loving kindness, His mercy that was following and pursuing him, he knew that what dwarfed dwarfed those terrible things was the great thing that was, and that's God's goodness and loving kindness, that was pursuing him all the days of his life. David realized that it wasn't just bad stuff that was pursuing him, but it was God Himself that was pursuing him. It was a knowledge of God's love his loving kindness, his goodness, his mercy pursuing him throughout his life that was bigger than anything dangerous that was on his heels. And that brings us to the final verification of the greatness of the P23 life, and it's this, unending chase. There is an unparalleled contentment that comes into your life, an unassailable confidence. When you live your life as a sheep and the Lord is your shepherd, there is an unmistakable celebration where your cup overflows and there is an unending chase. Now friends, it is a fact that there are a lot of enemies out there on your heels. But one of the things that we must understand is this. We must understand who and what is also we must understand who and what is also pursuing us. That Hebrew word chesed, 
loving kindness, quite frankly, friends, is one of the biggest words in the entire Bible. And I think it's one of those words that we best understand it in an Old Testament story that actually involves David, the writer of Psalm 23, and a young fellow with a strange name in 2 Samuel chapter 9, a Mephibosheth. Now, to set the context, David has become king. He has united all of Israel. Those 12 tribes, for the first time in a long time, consider themselves a nation. And David, sort of sitting back on the throne one day, in, in a, a moment of quiet, a moment of rest, asks a very unusual question. Second Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, he says, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul, the king before him, to whom I can show kindness, there's our word, chesed, for Jonathan's sake? Now, knowing the context, this question is completely unusual. Because what was usual, what made this super unusual as a question, is that when most kings were newly ascended to the throne, the first thing they wanted to do was to get rid of the rivals, to get rid of the opposition, to get rid of those that might try to assassinate them or trigger a coup or, or you know, certainly did not want to bless them. They wanted to get rid of them. And, and David wants to do this, this blessing of someone from the house of Jonathan because of something that Jonathan said to David when they were young men and they were best friends, and this is before Jonathan died. They're together, and Jonathan, who, who should be in line to become the king after his father Saul, knows that he is not going to be king, that it is going to be David, his friend. And so he says, 1 Samuel 20, Show me unfailing kindness, there's our word, like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. And this is the covenant that they made with each other. Now, you know the story. Sometime later, Jonathan and his father, King Saul, and all of the brothers are killed in battle near Beit Shan. And now that David has become king and he's unified everything and there's kind of a moment of rest in Israel, David is sitting on the throne and he remembers the promise and he asks, is there anyone that I can show chesed, loving kindness, the greatest, most profound experience of love to? And it's here that he learns about a surviving son of Jonathan, one of the young boys his name is Mephibosheth, which is a name that has reference to dishonor, seething dishonor. And when, when Saul is killed and you know, Mephibosheth is grabbed up and they're, they're fleeing, the nurse falls on top of him and both of his, his feet become crippled for life. And they're trying to get him out of there because it's just typical for kings when they ascend to the throne a new king, they're going to try to get rid of the opposition. And he goes to a place that we are told in Hebrew is called lo debar. Hebrew word for no is the word lo. Lo means no. Debar is the word that means word or thing. So literally, Mephibosheth goes to a place that is called no thing or nothing. That's where he lives. It is out in the middle. It's just on the other side of nowhere. And he thinks he's safe. And we're also told a couple of times that he is crippled in both feet. 
And David sends his fellows out to go get him. They bring him back. They, sit him, they, they bring him in front of David. He bows. And Mephibosheth thinks that he's about to be executed because this is what you do. And David says to him, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid in my presence. And then he says to Mephibosheth, I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you, number one, all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. And number two, you will always eat at my table. I'm going to give you back your inheritance. You're receiving your inheritance. And you're always going to eat. There's always a place. There's always a chair, a setting for you at my table. David's loving kindness is bringing a level of blessing into Mephibosheth's life that he is unable to fathom. It's so unexpected. It's so extraordinary. His fortune has been completely changed. The direction of his life has been veered into a positive horizon. And it's because David pursued Mephibosheth. He went looking for him. He went and found him, and he brought him to the palace. And he said, blessing, blessing. And the author of 2 Samuel, he keeps mentioning that Mephibosheth is lame in, in, in both feet. The reason he does that is because the mentioning of, of, of the crippled feet is sort of the punchline in the story. What he keeps trying to convey to us is that Mephibosheth has nothing to bring to David in terms of wealth and prestige. He's not ever going to be able to pay David back. What is coming to him from David is grace and love and inheritance and to be treated like a son. The only reason that he can eat at David's table is because of unconditional love unfailing love, and covenantal love. David says that this is what pursues him. David says this kind of love is what pursues David all the days of his life. That David was able to handle whatever came at him because he had no doubt that God's goodness and God's love and God's mercy and God's grace would pursue him and find him and bless him and bring him home. And then there's a second thing. Not only do you understand who and what is also pursuing you in this life, the greatness of God's grace, but you understand the difference between a, uh, between a drifter and a pilgrim. A, a drifter is headed nowhere in particular. He's just drifting, riding the way, following the stream, doing, you know, doing what comes easiest path of least resistance. That's a drifter. A pilgrim, on the other hand, knows exactly where he is headed. He's not just there yet. He's still on his way. And at the end of the psalm, David says that I know that there is love and goodness that follow me. And because that's true, I will 
I will be found successfully and blessed immensely. And I have no doubt about my final destination. It will be eternity in the presence of God. So let me close with a question. Do you intend to live as a sheep? I don't know if anybody's ever asked you that before, but do you intend to live as a sheep? We ought to start asking each other that question all the time because most of the time the answer to that question is, I'm not sure, never really thought about it. Well, let me ask you this. Do you intend to not live as a sheep with the Lord as your shepherd? Most of us would say, of course not. Very simply, if you are not intending to live as a sheep, then you are intending to live in some other way. The call is to live as a sheep, a part of the flock of God's pasture. And this is where your free will as a human comes into play with God's will for human beings. We live intentionally from this day forward as His sheep. The intention is to live like a sheep where He is our shepherd, and that is enough. And there is contentment that is beyond description. And at the very core of my being, in my soul, I am being refreshed and restored because that's God's work in leading me to still water. My my, my soul is restored. And I'm on a path that's just not good, but on a path that is righteous, that is for God's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, into the darkness, into the threats, into the opposition, into the malevolent forces, He leads me and I follow Him and I will not be afraid. And when we get to the other side, as He has led me to the other side, He shares His victory with me. My cup overflows. I celebrate even when there are no reasons to celebrate. And again, that's not to say that there are not the painful times and the enigmatic times and and suffering times and horrific times and cruel times and unjust times that come. There's just an umbrella of joy because the Lord is my shepherd. Goodness and loving kindness follow me all the days. It pursues me. I go nowhere without God's eyes trained on me and running me down with His loving kindness and His mercy, His goodness. And I may not be there yet, but I'm a pilgrim. I know where I'm headed. I'm going back to the house of God as His child. It's the gospel in six verses. And if there's a way that we can help you respond to the gospel and become a disciple of Jesus today and learn what it means to live as a sheep with this kind of a shepherd, then we want you to come and talk to these shepherds down front as we stand and praise God together.